0: We welcome you in. We are currently walking through the Gospel of John, and we are moving slowly. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I was talking to one of the brothers at lunch, and I said, you know, maybe I should have gone slower through some of the other books of the Bible that we've done in the past. But then I came to the conclusion we would still be in Romans. So uh, so anyway, so we're going we're gonna to go through John uh, at, at the pace that God tells us to go through it. Uh, and the reason why we're going to the Gospel of John is we've been doing this Wednesday Bible study uh, for about four years now. Uh, And some of you are brand new. Some of you have been here the entire four. And some of you are somewhere in between but I, at any you know a lot of times when you start you know no matter where you are on your journey of faith uh, there, there, there comes a time you have to be reminded on what you believe why you believe it and and as we said uh, you know the the apostle john is is saying uh, behold jesus who is god and so we're, we're walking through and i know it has been for me and we're being we're almost being reintroduced to jesus and for, and for some of you uh, that maybe uh don't know him that well this is a good way for for you to get to know Him a little better. And then for folks that maybe have been uh, followers of Jesus for a long time, and you start started kind of taking that relationship for granted, uh, it's great to go back and be refreshed and reminded. And then there's those of us that go through here, and we've read this stuff a lot of times, and then by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you actually start gleaning something out of it you never gleaned out of it before. And I'm certainly experiencing that, so I'm, I'm loving that. So uh, let's, uh, let's open up with a word of prayer. Uh, let me do a little business here for those who of you, but remember, you're always invited. Any of you are invited. Uh, but to uh, my home church, Shades Mountain Baptist Church, our next man church, which is a service just for men, led by men, uh, and uh, will be coming up on the last Sunday of October. If you want to make a note of that, and uh, we'll have Kevin Hound from Gardendale First Baptist will be coming in to challenge us. Uh, also, we'll introduce you to our new director, uh, who is part of our men's ministry there, who I work alongside, uh, and uh, we'll hear his testimony. Uh, we'll have some great praise and worship. Uh, with Michael Adler and some of the men of the church, uh, and then we'll let you know things that uh, the church needs, uh, that, that, that some roles that men can fill, uh, as we do on every man church. So, uh, if you want to join us, make a note that last Sunday in October, 6 p.m. local time, and then you can make plans to join us. There's no charge for that or anything like that. You don't need a ticket or anything like that. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, guide us uh, as as we now walk through. Uh, this introduction uh, to you. For some people, some of this may be first-time introduction. Uh, for for others, it is a, a reminder. And as I said, Lord, then there's that that wonderful part of all this that that those of us that thought we knew this forward and backward, to discover that. Uh, Uh, the scripture is alive and and, and we're learning things that we didn't know were there, didn't see things that maybe we couldn't understand before. But through this process of sanctification and maturation in the faith, you're giving us truths that now by your power, we finally have been mature enough to hear. Uh, whatever that situation may be. We pray for all who are hurting in the room. Uh, So many different testimonies, so many, many, many difficulties. And I pray for every family that's represented. I pray for every single man that is that is here today. That's out trying to to glorify you in this this period of time when when he has so much so much freedom to answer your call. And whatever you may send him to do may never compromise or squander that freedom. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that today that uh, uh, no matter whether there be a man listening to this or, or a woman listening to this, uh, maybe a young person listening, whatever that may be, that they'll, they'll, they'll experience you today. They'll experience you and radically be changed by, by how wonderful you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So let's kind of let's kind of review where we've been. Uh, because, so, you know, we're now getting to the seventh day that Jesus has has started his ministry. Uh, we're now on the seventh day when we get to the wedding today, the seventh day since Jesus has been declared, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away uh, the sins of the world. Day one, we had representatives from the Sanhedrin. Uh, they went to John the Baptist, who made this declaration, and said, Hey, let's talk about this a little bit. Who are you? Uh, that was day one. You'll find that in, in verses 19 and t- through 28 uh, from what we've already covered. Day two, Jesus appears uh, after returning from the 40 days of temptation in the desert. Uh, that happens on day two. You see that in John one twenty nine day three John the Baptist uh, he takes his followers and he says what now you know, y'all go follow Jesus we talked about that day four Jesus returns to Galilee he meets Philip who introduces him to uh, uh, to Nathaniel uh, and so Nathaniel and Philip and now James and John they're all following along uh, day seven is where we are now now this is the reason why they call the this is the day seven this is the seventh day since the start of Jesus's ministry but because of this wedding. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna find out that on this, this 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 wedding that they usually married virgins on Wednesdays, and then for some reason, if you were a widow, they kicked you to Thursday. But just, so only virgins got Wednesday, and so uh, so this is uh, this is where we're the kind of wedding that Jesus is going to, and the reason why we talk about this being. The third day, it's the third day uh, since Jesus had his conversation with Nathaniel. So you'll see some references sometimes in the commentary that when he went to the wedding, he went to the wedding after waiting three days from his you know Philip and Nathaniel in that conversation then three days later this is day seven of Jesus starting his earthly ministry he now finds himself at the wedding so let's uh, let's look at what's taking place in, in the wedding that's why it says the third day there on the first line on the third day that means since he talked to Philip and Nathaniel on the third day there was a wedding uh, at, at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there Jesus was also invited to the wedding with the disciples. Okay, so let, let's, let's unpack that uh, a little bit right out of the gate. So, first of all, you read the different commentaries and, and you can decide which one you think is more likely. I, I kind of made a decision based on the, what's going to come up next that, that one probably has more weight than the other. But the other one is pretty, pretty straightforward that Jesus was likely invited because his mother Mary was very close to the family. this was a close family of theirs. And Mary uh, was either a relative. Some people think that it's possible uh, that Mary may have been there since it appears as we go on that she was pretty informed and pretty involved with what's going on. This could have actually been her family's, one of her family's kinsmen. It might've been the nearest male relative that was getting married. Uh, And so that would have been, she would have been very involved in that. So theory one, which I think is the most likely, uh, is that this was just a family that Mary was connected to. So she told Jesus to come with her. Uh, the other one is that it, that somehow Nathaniel, uh, since he says on the third day from meeting Nathaniel, that this was something Nathaniel was connected to, uh, and because he just met Jesus and recognized him as Christ, that's why you see the disciples involved too. He said, "Hey, let's all go to this wedding." That doesn't explain, though, how Mary knew so much, so I think that one's not as likely. But uh, I think because of what we see, all everything that Mary knew about it, it's likely that Mary uh, said, Jesus, I want you to come, and you can go ahead and bring your friends if you want to. Who are these new friends? Uh, and if you, you want to bring them, they can come with you too. So here's another thing that we know. That Jesus' family was not wealthy. We, we know that as a fact. So it's not likely that this family was wealthy either, which leads to the problem that Jesus is going to be asked to resolve here in a moment. Uh, if they, they were probably families that were probably of the same uh, level as far as wealth is concerned. We also never hear about Joseph in this at all, so we assume that Joseph, Joseph his earthly father, has already passed away. Uh, And we've had others who were asking even after one of the Bible studies, is there any indication at all in any of the reports or commentaries of what happened to Joseph and there isn't. Uh, But, uh, you know, there's all kinds of theories about uh, what, what, why, why would God remove Joseph? And and one of the things I think makes sense is just like when you see that God removed John the Baptist. I mean, God's got a plan he's going to work out and anything that may cause an issue with that plan, he'll handle. And that's not punishment. That's just somebody, him saying to people, you know, I remember one of the things that, that really touched me. And it was in this studio and Louis Giglio was in here and it was it was it was right after my youngest son had gone to heaven. And he, he, he called me over and he says, you are familiar with Psalms 139, 13 through 16. And I said, yes, you know, we're, we cling to that. That's great. He said, but you need to understand what the Bible is saying is your son's life's not incomplete. You know, it said that God knew your son when he wove him together in Sherry's womb. And, and, and every day was written in his book the, in the number of his days before he'd ever lived one. I know you think that his earthly life was short, but to God, it is perfection and it is complete. It's not incomplete. And of course, we've seen God confirm that over and over and over again. Well, in this case, just like John the Baptist you did what you were here to do. And now I don't need that confusion of people knowing who to follow. John's been a good done a good job of having his closest followers and sending them on. But there's other people, we see that when John gets put in jail, what happens? Some of his followers come back to Jesus and say, John wants to know, are, are you the one? Well, John's already said he is. You know, and, and, and one of the things that I love about that, I'm going to tell you what that is. That's telling you John the Baptist is just a man. Hey, because you know I'm in jail, right? <laughs> you're not going to get John you, you sh- are you who you're supposed to be and, and, and what does he say could, could Jesus go get John no no issue could Jesus free John from jail 100% so but what he said is what John's done his job go tell John that everything that should be happening is happening I am who he said I was and then John got his head cut off because his reward was not in heaven I mean, not on earth, it's in heaven. He do, he did what he was supposed to do. His life was complete. Well, some, some some and this is just something I'm thinking about. All right, so we know when we get to the cross that Jesus is going to tell John that he needs to take Mary into his house and now getting ready for his resurrection, he's putting the disciples and everybody together. If Joseph was still here, the disciples wouldn't have been in a position to take care of Mary. Joseph would have been taking care of Mary. So, Whatever the reason is, God was right. He said, Joseph has done his job. And Joseph was a horse. I don't think we talk enough about that. That's a pretty big responsibility to be put on somebody. And just like he didn't just pick anybody to be the mother, he didn't just pick anybody to be her husband either. So, uh, so anyway, so, but he had, he had done his job. And so he wasn't there anymore. And we don't know what happened to him. And the Bible didn't tell us. So it must not be anything that, that we need to know. Uh, so so no, now we know that the, the wedding is set up and we know who's there. So this is really, really, really incredible, too, because if you look at this wedding... And in the conversations that broke out on the show today, you can tell God's ready to make some points today about, about marriage. So the, the Jews that knew the Bible, they believe that the relationship between the bridegroom and the bride was a replica of the glorious relationship between Jehovah and his people. Now, we see that that has continued because we know in the New Testament, the church now has become the bride and and Jesus is the bridegroom. Well, this is this is not just a New Testament concept. The church is, but this concept of God being the bridegroom and his people, you know, being the bride is an Old Testament concept. So, that's the reason why the, hey, these weddings were a huge deal. They were they went on for a week. And so Jesus, of course, as the faithful loving husband of the church, his bride, is embedded in the relationship of the biblical Jews and their God. So if you want to write down, you can look at where this is referred to. And, and certainly you'd see it referred to in Matthew because Matthew's main job was what? To write to the Jews. So you see him trying to make this point in Matthew 25, 1 through 3. Make a note of that. Matthew 25, 1 through 3. John, we'll get to it in chapter 3. This is going to be referenced again in 29. And then in Paul's letter to Ephesus in Ephesians, what? We see him using this example again. We know This one, this is when Paul is writing about the role of husbands and wife. And what does he say? That the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for his bride. See, if you want to know the Old Testament reference to this, we understand the new. I hope you do. But remember how many times that Jesus, I'm sorry, that God would be talking to the prophets and the people, the Hebrews would be unfaithful and would go after other idols, and go after other gods. And what did God call them? Now, there's some language he used that I won't use, but there is a word for an unfaithful woman, and, and God Almighty, Jehovah, would say, my people are acting like an unfaithful bride, and they are chasing after other gods, and they're being unfaithful to me. So see, this whole wedding thing, and if you start understanding how much God loves marriage, Would we say? The right of Hebrews says that marriage should be p- held in a place of honor by all, by everybody. And the marriage bed should never be defiled. That's a big statement. So if you're wondering why marriage and the standard for marriage... See, it started off that, that Satan started taking marriage and he started interfering with the relationship between a man and a woman. And he would come in and try to create insults to break up that bond, to blaspheme what God called holy. And this was the era of, you know, just um, no fault divorces and and all of these things that start going on. And then before we knew it, that used to be something that we said, man, that's really. That's, and then it was like, well, I mean. What's the big deal? So then what? Then then that just keeps on going on and on. Now what do we have now? Oh, not, not just a problem between a man and a woman inside holy matrimony. We don't even think it's man and woman. It could be man and man. It could be woman and woman. And we come after God's standard for marriage and we continue. Satan continues to attack and attack and attack. And I'm going to tell you why Satan hates marriage because God loves it. That's why he hates it. I mean he could have grabbed any analogy he wanted to grab about his relationship with his people and he grabbed marriage. He could have had any analogy he wanted to come up with, my goodness he's God, to talk about Jesus' relationship with what with the church that he was coming to save. And you know what he said? My son is the bridegroom and that church is his bride. And I don't want my bride stained. <laughs> And, and so the, this is an analogy that is a really big deal. And it's the reason why you see that Je- you think Jesus says, well, John said, right, I got a document when the first thing that Jesus did something that showed us a sign. And we'll talk about him using the word sign versus miracle. It was a wedding. Now you're going to see Jesus here in a minute saying some things that are kind of like you tilt your head, like he wasn't real sure that the father was ready for him to do this at the wedding. But he did it, which means the father said, that's good. And it was at a wedding. So there's a lot going on here than just a sweet little story about Jesus being invited to a wedding. First of all, don't don't uh, don't miss this. Jesus didn't avoid social situations and celebrations. Now, this calls this is this. This is where you better be trying to please God and not try to please people. Listen, this this is so, and and tell me this doesn't go on even today. So when he would go to these social situations and these celebrations, the religious leaders, the sanctimonious, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they called him a glutton, they called him a drunkard, and they said, you're a friend of sinners. But then John the Baptist was a recluse, got in no social situations, wouldn't eat bread or wine, and they said, he's got a demon. So you can't make them happy. I mean, no, no matter what end of the set, uh, 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 you, on both sides, the Pharisee says, we don't like either one. Right. So you see that that's legalism. That's that's codes of conduct. That's people deciding what they consider to be a sign of someone who's right with God and someone who's not. Well, this guy out here that's not doing anything and is abstaining from from bread and abstaining from wine. He's crazy. This guy over here who's eating and he's drinking and he's visiting with people who are sinners. He's wrong, too. So you you see how ridiculous that is. So. And if you don't believe that, look at Luke 7, when they're talking about John the Baptist. So Jesus, and I like this, and this is what's important, and this is where we have to learn to walk it the same way. Are you ready? This is important. Jesus entered the normal experiences of life and sanctified them. He didn't just go in there and, and join in with anything going on if it was sin. He didn't join in with what's going on to try to fit in. He went there to sanctify the situation, to change it, to make it right. Just like he comes to our life and and we're with sin. He doesn't come there and say, well, just continue going like you want to go. You know, this is the famous Jesus meets you where you are, people. Yeah, he does. But he sanctifies you. He, He doesn't leave you where you are. If Jesus is coming into any situation, he's coming in there to change it because he can And so that's what's going on. So, so Jesus entered these normal experiences and he sanctified, sanctified them by his presence. And then here's the biggie. Some of us in the room, maybe this didn't happen. I hope it has happened. Some of you in the room are not married, but you hope to one day be married. Are you about to get married? Let me tell you one thing you need to take away from this today. Be sure you invite Jesus to your wedding be sure Jesus got an invitation to your wedding. Because if you don't invite him, you're about to commit one of the biggest mistakes you could ever ever commit. See, there's a lot of people they want to they want to get married, but they don't want to invite Jesus to it. They got to come up with some version of marriage that's theirs, and that doesn't necessarily mean gen, same gender. That could be there's a lot of heterosexual people who don't invite Jesus to the wedding. And I will tell you this, that's one of the things There's a lot of things in in my testimony I'm certainly ashamed of and I should be. But I will tell you this. One thing that I love is that every time I celebrate my anniversary and my marriage to Sherry, we both get to celebrate our redemption as well. Because you know what changed Sherry's life and my life? We invited Jesus Jesus to the wedding. In the process of trying to get married for all the... Haphazard reasons that I had on my mind, or and Sherry had on hers, we encountered Jesus Christ through the process of marriage counseling. Had to go through some difficulty of of of, of represent, representatives of Jesus Christ, a pastor, a counselor. All these people said, "There's you should not get married if you're not going to invite Jesus to it." Wise is the person that invites Jesus to the wedding, and so we both solidified our redemption and submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. And I think one of the most beautiful things that I heard my wife say, and it was beautiful and she's exactly right because of all the garbage I've been through in the past, I know what it was like to not invite Jesus to the wedding. And when Jesus was invited to the wedding, I remember when they had us to kneel down and pray Right before we were announced as husband and wife, and Sherry said this, and this is beautiful. She said, and for the first time in my life, I was exactly where I was supposed to be. Throughout my whole life, I felt like I wasn't where I was supposed to be. But in this moment with Jesus invited to the wedding, we were both new to the faith. We were babies of the faith. We had been cultural, intellectual believers in Jesus, but we certainly didn't belong to Jesus. We certainly had not been redeemed by Jesus. There was no evidence of that. But in that moment when we said we will not enter into this unless it's holy, in order for it to be holy, we got to invite you to the wedding. Changes. And he did and he did. And he continues to change us And this marriage is so rock solid, not because Sherry's great, not because Rick's great, certainly not because I'm great, because it belongs to Jesus. And so I what that I treat Sherry the way I said to him, I would I answer to him and she respects me the way she told Jesus she would. And so when we get out of line and we, and we start letting that flesh and we forgot who we invited to the wedding, he shows up and stands in front of us and says, you can't do this to me. You made a covenant with me. Now you better go back and treat her the way you told me you would. you be obedient to me. Even if in this moment he or she is not unlovable, what, what fault you going to find in me? This is what I deem Holy. I don't like marriage to be tampered with. I have no, I have, I have no stomach for people that enter into people's marriage and try to disrupt it and take a spouse away. Let me tell you something. If you've ever done that, I hope you've been forgiven because God hates that. He hates it because you're going in and you're tampering with something that he deems holy. And he already said, he said, it better be held in a place of honor by all. And that marriage bed that I put together better never be defiled. Now is it un, can you be forgiven? Certainly. But you better not mess with it. And if you have, you better get on your face and you better be redeemed and you better be forgiven. Cuz he didn't take that lightly. He loves marriage. And the reason and because he loves it, the adversary hates it. And that's why you see it under attack all the time. Think about even the LGBT, they choose the rainbow. They use the word pride. Don't you see all this? Can't you see it? Don't you have your Holy Spirit glasses on? <laughs> what they're doing is they don't even know it, some of them. They're standing there shouting at God, saying, You might have destroyed this place once because of the evil of the world. We're back. And you said you weren't going to destroy the earth again because you said by water, they might want to miss. I hope they didn't miss that. <laughs> and hey, we claim the rainbow, we claim your promise. And you know what we are? We're pride. You do know what the fall of all mankind was, right? Pride. Do you know why Lucifer tried to overthrow God? Pride. Now, I'm not saying that they're aware of it. But it shows itself. The adversary is showing himself. I'm defying God again. Now, that doesn't mean that that you hate. It doesn't mean that you want to do harm. It doesn't mean that you're unforgiving. It doesn't mean that you're not loving. But it 100 percent means you cannot condone anything, whether it be heterosexual or homosexual, that blasphemes marriage. You can't. Because God hates that. He loves the repentant person, but he hates that sin. And he's been very, very clear about that. So he started his ministry on earth at a wedding because God loves marriage. So the Jewish weddings, as I said, lasted a week. I told you about the virgins were married on Wednesday, widows on Thursday. Now, we know the situation they're about to run into. Let me tell you what was embarrassing to run out of food or to run out of wine. Not good. Very embarrassing. Social faux Fupa. You don't want to be the family that couldn't, couldn't get the food and wine to last a week. And so this is, this, I mean, and do you know this? I didn't know this. You could actually be fined for it. P- picture that. Hey, this wedding y'all had the other day, I heard you ran out of food. And then also here comes the, the revenue where says, well, you, you, you owe the city a tax for embarrassing all of us. <laughs> so, so they could actually be fined. Like people could make a grievance against you. Hey, they invited us to a wedding and the food for all of us. Have you ever had that happen? Not not at a wedding or something. I hope that didn't happen. But if you, I, I've I've had it happen at my house. I I, I remember one time I, 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 more people came to something than we thought were coming, because nobody RSVPs. Just give up on that. You're gonna have to guess. <laughs> and uh, and I looked out there on the grill and I said I I don't know that we got it. And I have to ease over there to Sherry and say I I don't I don't. we got got no food. <laughs> And then, you know, luckily you had kids so that can drive. Then you start sending them to go get more food. It's, it is an embarrassing situation. So let's look at what happened now in verses 3 through 5. So when the, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And, here, and I know this, this becomes a confusing moment here, but I, hopefully I can help you with this because I certainly need to help with it too. And Jesus said to her, woman... What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, first of all, and and I've heard my pastor explain this and I've heard many explain this. Don't get caught up in this woman thing, him saying woman. There's nothing there. Okay, that's that's nothing more than an endearing phrase that was very common in the culture. There was nothing rude. It was actually endearing for him to call his mother woman. So there's nothing there. But we know that Mary must have been close to this family. Why? Because she's concerned about it. And she has the information. I mean, if you're, if you're someone who's just kind of a, you know, you're, you're just an acquaintance, you don't have any idea if they're out of wine or not until everybody starts hollering, where's the wine? But for her to be made aware of it, hey, we're running out of wine. And for her to want to do something about it, she means she cares. So I think that's our indicator on what they're doing at the wedding right there. You, I don't think you have to look... For, Uh, past that, and I told you that, that she was likely a very intimate friend, even a possibility that the male might have been a a, a kinsman, which that's the nearest male relative, and I talked about that by blood. So here's another thing that we have to look at here, is that Mary goes to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. What does that indicate? He He can do something about it. So she knows that he can do something about it. She didn't run over because we know the other disciples are there. Philip, they're out of wine. Nathaniel, they're out of wine. Jesus, they're out of wine. And then he says to her, Why is this, why are you bothering me with this? Why are you bringing it to my attention? So, first of all, we know that the fact that she's talking in first person, that she's already demonstrating her faith in Jesus. You know, and and then of course, Jesus is endearing himself to her because this is his earthly, you know, mother. And see, what this shows again is why Mary was picked to begin with. Now be very careful because we're not going to deify Mary. And I know that may bother some of you. And I apologize for that. Speedy takes those emails. (laughs) Now, if you want to look at Mary and say she's an incredible example of obedience, I'm all in because that's a fact. And how do we know this? Well, if you, you know, have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, you know that when she was approached and told by Gabriel who she was going to be. She says, how's this going to happen? And he explains it to her. The Holy Spirit's going to come up upon you. And, and her, her next phrase is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now think about that. You also can find in Luke 1, 26 through 38, all this taking place. Luke 1, 26 through 38. So Mary says, whatever the Lord requires of me, I'm in. I'm obedient. You know, we don't see this with Zechariah, with John the Baptist. We, we see he didn't get to talk for a while because he starts kind of laughing at the notion that his barren wife's going to have a child. And God didn't take that very well. But Mary didn't. Mary just said, now tell me what the Lord's going to do. Not he can't do that. What? You realize that I'm a virgin? Yeah, we talk about that. And then she says, well, how's he going to do it? No, and he's going to do it. Just tell me how he's going to do it. So she says, let it be. Well, here she is once again. She's not just going to tell Jesus about this. So like like she's got some gossip. She's making him aware of the situation because she knows he can resolve it. So here's her faith again. She knows where to go to get this done. But then he says to her, Why are you getting me involved in this? So, one reason he's doing this, and this is important, and it's a little deep, but it's important. We know what's, if you know the story, you know what's about to happen. So, why is he taking this moment where he's saying, Woman, that's endearing, that's not disrespectful why are you concerning me with this? And I'll tell you why is because this is, this is a move on his part to say, I'm really no longer under your authority. Meaning I'm going to do this not to be so much obedient to you or to, or to pander to you. I'm going to do this. If the father approves it, meaning she couldn't just say, go do something. He said, why are you concerning me with this matter? Meaning you know that I I can decide to do this or not do it. He's no longer under the authority of his earthly mother. Do you see that? So Jesus never catered to human impulse, even, now this is something here. He never even catered to his own human impulse. Think about that. So the, it's impulsive. There's mother says, oh, my goodness, this is embarrassing. Do something. And, you know, he didn't say, well, I'm going to go take care of this right now. That's an impulse. He didn't do that. He's pondering. Now, why are you concerning me with this? And then, of course, the human side of him might have said, I got to take care of this. My mom really wants me to make sure this, these people are not embarrassed. And we also know in the garden that the human side of him said something that was really, really crucial and could have been really bad on us. The human side said, is there another way to do this? The human side was, was was had sweat coming out that was his capillaries were bursting and turning to blood because he's about to take his father's wrath. And the human side said, is there another way out? And what does he say? You'll, we'll do this in the Gospel of John. My heart is troubled. And then he's like talking to says, but why is my heart troubled? This is the reason I came. I came to fulfill the will of my father. So let me tell you what he's doing right here. This is him saying... I'm not going to do it because you're asking me to do it. I'm not going to do it because the human side of me wants to do it. I'm going to do it if the father okays it, because once I do this, it's on. We're about to go now. So it was his father's call, not his own, and it wasn't Mary's call. Now, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, I'm, I'm going to read this real quick and I know this is going ahead and I apologize for that but it's kind of important. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it I want you to go to, to John chapter 5 and we'll get to this later but I'm going to go ahead and, and get into it now because it, it helps us what we're doing here. So the reason why this we're confirming because you're saying well Rick you're saying he's doing it because the Father approved it how do you know that? Well there's, here's how we know. Okay So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. Now, now, now stay with me for the father's for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will be shown him so that you may marvel. Meaning, he's going. God's, my father's going to let me do certain things. So you will marvel and know that I am Him. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son, honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him. who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have uh, done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing. Look at 30. I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So what's important about going ahead and looking at that, that's why he, the next move he's going to make is going to be because the father says this is our next move. You heard everything. We're go- he's already saying, look, all these things are about to happen. I'm going to raise people from the dead. I'm going to heal these people. And you're going to marvel at some of that. But what you've got to know, everything I do, including when he judges us, I have been given the authority from my father and I can do nothing of my own accord. Because the father and I are one. So that is proof that this next pivot we're going to see is really, if you want to look at it, he's being asked to do something before he thinks we're supposed to. He's going to do it, and he says, "My hour has not come," and he's gone to the Father and says, "Do you want me to go ahead and do this?" And undoubtedly, the Father said yes, and, but he didn't do it publicly, and we're going to talk about how he did it, which is important. So there's still a little bit of a modification. On this launching of Jesus, and it's interesting the way he does it. So now we get in, into this. You will see that, that the, when he says, My hour has not come, to ex- explain it a little better, Jesus has been living from the time he arrived on his Father's heavenly timetable, marked out for him by his Father. All right, now we're going to study this concept throughout the Gospel of John. If you want to get ready for it, y- y- y'all writing? This is all still to come in the study we got going. This concept is going to be paramount. John 730, John 820, John 1223, John 131, and John 171. We're going, you're going to see this heavenly timetable with the Father and the Son discussed over and over and over. And now we're going to get down to where it starts getting even better. Now, we love this. Here comes Mary once again showing uh, what a hoss she is. Can you call a woman a hoss? Is that a hossess? (laughs) But anyway, and we we need to listen to this, okay? His mother said to the servants, and here he comes, do whatever he says. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, say that a preach, because I'm going to tell you, following the example of how to be obedient, Mary's an example. She's another human being. She's an example of how to be obedient to whatever God calls you to do. And so another example she's given us is this. If if you come to me and say, hey, what do you think I should do? I say, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Do it his way. From somebody who would listen, sometimes heard what Jesus said and went the other way, do whatever he says. I promise you, whatever he says is right. So she knows that, that, that Jesus, not herself, is important. For all of you out there that may not like some of the things we're saying right now, Mary couldn't get the wine thing done. (laughs) She had to go to a higher source for that. Okay? So, 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 so Mary it's gonna be a big day on email today. But anyway, Mary, based on the show this morning and now this, I'm gonna be. I may just turn the email off and start over. Um, you know what? Who this? There's a person. I don't know if you've noticed this. if you ever watched the archive? There's this person that watches this and gives me a thumbs down every week. You know that little thing on the YouTube thing, the little thumbs down. We got this one thumbs down every week. And they don't wait very long. As soon as it's after. So uh, so anyway. So I, I don't know who this one thumbs down person is. I expected there to be more, frankly. But anyway, so. Um, so now let's talk about the miracle. So we know that Jesus is going to solve the problem. Mary says, do whatever he says. Man, apply that to your life today, please. So it says, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. So these are, this water is there for the purification, the ceremonial stuff. Don't miss that. It, it has, there ain't nobody going be drinking out of this. this. This is over here for purification and washing and cleaning and, and ceremonial. So he sees this and each held about 20 or 30 gallons. Don't miss details. John's giving details. Okay. If you're going to make up stories, you don't come up with those kind of details. Okay. And so then Jesus said to the servants, hold that thought, fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, uh, they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now has become wine and he did not know where it came from. So keep in mind, Jesus didn't show anybody but Mary, the disciples and the servants what he was going to do. So he's starting to preach now. Remember what he said? Go tell John the Baptist the gospel is being preached to the poor. Mm -hmm. See, this is going to be a theme you're going to see with Jesus. Guess who he brought into the inner circle? Servants, fishermen and his mama. They got to see the first sign, not the king, not some glorious wealthy family, servants, fishermen, and his mama. Hold on to that. So so now the, guy, the, the master of the feast says he drinks the wine. He didn't know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water new. See, that's the point. The servants got to see it. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the, then they go to the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. The first of his signs, don't miss signs. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. By the way, that's important, too, for people that claim that that Mary and Joseph didn't have other children. It says his mother and his brothers and his disciples. For those of you who say, oh, that's just talking about the disciples. No, right here it says his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So let's unpack what happened. So again, it was not a glorious public event. We'll see this going forward. It was only known to Mary and the disciples and the servants. He starts off with a private small event But then, how does he end his ministry? Starts with a little private event. Few people see it. But we know when we get down to the end, and don't miss this, he starts with a wedding and he ends his earthly ministry manifesting himself with a funeral. Now, the funeral, that's a big one. That's a big public event. John says this is the first of the signs, he didn't say miracles. And the reason why John is saying signs because he wants to emphasize the purpose and the spiritual significance of the miracle itself. You'll always see John calling it a sign. He said, because what John wants you to do is and this, is where you have to watch out. And you'll see this, by the way, uh, when we continue in our study, it's coming up pretty quick. John is being very careful that you don't you don't start being a signs and wonders person. He said, this is a sign of who Jesus is. Don't worship the miracle. You worship the miracle worker. All right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want you getting caught up in the water to wine. I want you to get caught up in the manifestation that Jesus is God. Amen. Do you understand that? Because you, you know those people? I, I, you got to watch out. Let me tell you why you got to watch out about signs and wonders. Be very careful with them. Jesus said he did this for one reason. To man, manifest that he was God. I'm showing you that I am who I say I am. That's it. He didn't. He did not make every blind person see. He didn't make every cripple walk. He didn't make every dead person come alive. He didn't heal every every uh, leopard. He's walking through all this saying, "I do these things to confirm I am who I said I am." And my biggie is, I'm going to show you that I can overcome death. All right. I got a biggie coming up here at the end before I go to the cross, but. He, you know, you've heard it before. He even specified Lazarus. He even specified the little girl. He even here uh, the centurion's servant. You know, he did these things very specific because Jesus is so powerful. If he just shouted, "Everybody, come up!" Everybody would have came up. So, so he's all he's doing is doing these things to show that I am who I say I am. So when I get to that cross. You're going to say I'm 100% man, I'm 100% God, and I am perfect, and I am the final sacrifice. I am the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist told you the first day I walked up. Glory, man. Okay, that, that's what this is about. And so John is being very, very meticulous to call these things signs for who Jesus was. And let me caution you, my brothers in here, and brothers and sisters that are watching and listening, do not get caught up in chasing signs and wonders. This is about God. It's not about miracles. It's not about signs. It's not about wonders. Let me tell you why. Guess who else can do them? Lucifer can do them. Demons can do them. If you don't have the kind of spiritual discernment and all you want to see is some sign or some miracle, you better be very careful. I've seen some things that are not of God. You got to be very careful. We know that what, when Satan was given given the freedom to go and to kill Job's children, how did he kill them? With weather. Weather. So undoubtedly, Satan has the ability to have some sort of control over weather. I'd be real careful, based on my whole faith experience on signs and wonders. And you're going to see Jesus say, I'm, I can't help it. I always give it away. Sure. He says, oh, you can never wait on anything. <laughs> you're going to see that he's going to say that a lot of people get fired up about him here in a little bit and he says they were with him, but he was not with them because he knew the, he knew the heart of every man and they were chasing signs and wonders. That's Hey, if Jesus doesn't do another thing for you, the cross was enough. Okay, so I, you, you don't sit there and expect signs. That certainly he, he I, miracles still happen. But it's His call. I know people who are tremendous people of faith, who their loved one died, and other people are tremendous people, people of faith, and the doctor opens a bump and says, I don't know how to explain this, they're alive. The cancer we thought was here is gone. But you know what? There's some other people who had just as much faith, and their loved one died. So is God God in both of those situations? You better believe He is. It's His call. And we're worshiping Him, not what He can do. Because He's done enough. Amen. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm begging God, I have pleaded three times for him to remove whatever this thorn in his flesh was. I don't know if that's symbolic. I don't know if it was literal something that hurt. But he says, not only do I have this thorn in the flesh, that's made it possible that now a demon has been assigned to me that harasses me and I pleaded with God to remove it. But he hasn't. But I know why. See, I can't stand people saying, say, well, sometimes we don't know why. He says why. To keep me humble. Yes. So that I don't become full of myself. And that I'm reminded that his grace is sufficient. And he said, you know what I've discovered? He keeps me weak because when I am weak, then he is strong. So listen to this. Are you ready for this? So I celebrate my weakness. Yes. Boy, that's contrary to every man, man I've ever known. I celebrate my weakness. Because when I'm weak, he's strong. You know what Paul's saying? Is anybody ready to say that Paul didn't have enough faith? He didn't pray right? Did he not pray right? What did Paul do wrong? Why is he at the end of his life saying, I will receive the crown of righteousness. I have fought the fight. I have run the race. Well, it doesn't sound like to me Paul's saying it. I tell you, I just went through a lot of garbage because I never did, I didn't quite do what God asked me to do. I guess if I'd have prayed and maybe walked in a circle or you know, some of this stuff you see, some of this ritualistic stuff, if I'd have just had enough faith, If I'd have claimed it, if I'd have named it, Mm -hmm. I could have got that thrown out of my flesh. Well, I'm not going to say that about the apostle Paul. You can, but I ain't going to say that. It looked like to me he was a man of great faith, but he still suffered because it wasn't about that. You know what he said? Man, I shouldn't even be an apostle. I used to kill people in the church. Paul was passionately wrong. (laughs) You do realize that, right? You can be passionately wrong. Just because somebody's passionate don't mean they're right. Paul was certain that he should go out and to to honor God, he should destroy this church. And he was good at it. But when Jesus said, you're persecuting me, I'm going to change you into something different. His personality didn't change. His talent set didn't change. You're going to do that for me now with the same passion and fervor that you persecuted my church, you're going to advance my church. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, everything I am is because of the grace of God, but that grace will never be in vain. Amen. You know what Paul wasn't? A grace abuser and a whiner. Mm. He knew he'd been redeemed and that was good enough. And so that is what we're talking about and the reason why the John says this is a sign In Scripture, wine, this is, now I know we're going to talk about wine before we leave. No, everybody says, he's going to avoid wine. We're going to talk about wine. You know why? Because wine's in the Bible. In the Scriptures, but you have to understand about the symbolism. In Scripture, Judges 9, 13, write this down. Psalms 104, 15. In Scripture, wine was always a symbol of joy. It always, it represented Joy. It was a message to the world. Joy, joy, and this is good. This is one of the messages Jesus was showing you. Joy always runs out and cannot be regained. But what Jesus gives is ever new and ever satisfying. The joy of the world, that's what wine represents. You can run out of it. So if you're looking for joy to be given to you by the world, to be given to you by wine, that's going to leave you wanting. I'm joy. See, the reason why that wine was the best they'd ever tasted is because I touched it. I even sanctified the wine. And see, they ran out of the world's joy, but my joy you'll never run out of. That's why we can cling to John 16, 33. I guess I'm going to do the whole gospel of John today. John 16, I say this so that you'll have peace in this world. You will face tribulation, but you always have joy in your heart because I've overcome the world. My joy never Runs out. And you know what else we see in this? Jesus offers the best. Amen. He offers the best. There's, there, see, and that's what we got to understand. We start claiming that, that I'm a businessman now for Jesus. I do a radio show now for Jesus. Whatever your vocation, whatever your ministry, whatever you claim. I'm a musician for Jesus. I do movies now for Jesus. Well, they better be good. And they better be supported on their merit not because you're trying to guilt people to support something because you tied Jesus' name to it. Amen. You know, this is the business card guy with the, with, the, with, the, with the Bible verse on it and he does a terrible job. <laughs> if you don't do a good job, get get scripture off your business card. All right. Amen. You better be the best of the best. Hey, I got a new song out. It's about Jesus. Is it any good? Is it better than what the world puts out? Because if it's not, I don't care. Um, Jesus may look at that and go, is that all you brought to worship? That wasn't very good. Who told you you could sing? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a new movie coming out, Honors Jesus. Is it any good? Uh, Have I got to go see it out of guilt? Am I going to see it because it's good? He is right. Hey, hey, we're Rick and Bubba, man. I'll tell you what, we're not, we're not doing a, a Christian radio. We're, doing, we're, we're Christians who do radio. Is it any good? Uh, funniest line I ever heard. and uh, Big email day. <laughs> there, was, there was an obscure Christian radio station somewhere and I'm not anti-Christian radio please hear me a heart I love my brothers and sisters if they're devout followers of Christ now there's some people working in Christian radio that I'm not sure why they're there but, but I'm talking about the guy was, he was a Christian so what did the Christian radio station say well you are to buy advertising from us because we're Christians you're Christians and he said so I did it for a while but I didn't sell any cars at some point the man's got to sell cars So what does he do? He starts advertising with with people that what? Sell cars. Where's the merit? I I can't stand when we start labeling stuff that somehow Jesus is tied to something, but it has no merit. Mm -hmm. If we're going to tie Jesus to it, it ought to be the best of the best of the best. Because that's our worship to him. Remember what he said? We work for him. That's who we answer to. So to his people, he also showed a sign to the Hebrews that were there. Old Testament Israel is married to God. And what has happened? What does he say? You've been unfaithful. This is good. The wine ran out and all they had were six empty pots. That's where the Jewish ritual water was there and he used it. So now those pots are empty. They had that water for external washing, but it did nothing to internally clean them up and give them joy. He said, what happened then? He said, the joy for them turned into disappointment because now it's all gone. And there was something internal that needed to happen. And this is what's cool when you look at this. So the water at one time was for ceremonial washing. But what Jesus had done is went into this water and he turned it into something better than it was. And now it represents and it's not something external. But now he's saying, no, this is going to be internal. I'm going to change you internal. This was something that you're supposed to wash with. Now he's given them something that they drink. Do you see that analogy? The real joy is going to come from Jesus, not from a bunch of ceremonies. You've been an unfaithful bride to my father, but I'm here to redeem that. And think about this one. Moses' first plague that was handed down was God turning water into blood. Look at all this prophecy. Jesus' first miracle. Instead of now the water being turned into blood and wrath. He's showing them that his first miracle would be the first sign that I'm here for grace. My first miracle was a miracle of grace. You're out. You don't have anything. I'll provide it. So let's talk about wine before we go. Now, some people look at this. This is that mistake we always make where we search scripture. And it is not the way to look at scripture. Speaking from a man who did it at one time, we got to stop looking for scripture for what's allowed. Mm-hmm. What we need to be looking for scripture for is what what is commanded. First of all, you got to understand that water was—I mean—that wine was very common in this culture, and most experts, with very little reservation, because it was hard to make it last. It was usually three parts water, one part wine. So, if you're going to go out and say this is my free ticket to consume wine, you certainly can make a case for that. But you'll never be given a free ticket to be a drunk, Amen. because the Bible hates drunkenness, That's right. hates it, calls it debauchery. The writer of Hebrews. It's on the list in the letter, one of the letters to Corinth that Paul says, these people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And you look up and it says, oh, look at there. There's, there's, the, there's the sexually loose, the, the people who have sex outside of marriage and, and they don't save themselves from marriage. I see the fornicators won't get the unrepentant. This is all unrepentant. Unrepentant fornicators, that's people who have sex outside of marriage that jump out of one bed to another, you know, male or female. Uh, they're not going to, oh, the adulterer is not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's right. We'll get the, all oh, the homosexual will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's right. The liar. Yeah. The greedy. Yeah. The drunk. What? <laughs> Yo, the drunk doesn't inherit it either. The drunk doesn't inherit it either. No, drunkards are sinful people. And if they remain unrepentant, they're going to hell. What did Jesus say? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your mind. You do not let anything take your mind and alter it. What happens when you alter your mind? Guess who shows up? Demons. I want to ask you to raise your hand but I'll raise mine. I look at the regrets of my life. I can take the overwhelming majority of them and draw them right back to drunkenness. Right back to being drunk. There's a lot of things I did I would have never done if I'd not allowed myself to be drunk. So you want to play games with alcohol? You better be very careful. There's a reason that, that that drunkenness is talked about a lot in the Bible, that's what you need to pay attention to. And if you're somebody who says, I can consume wine that is three parts water, one part wine, something really, really, really weak, and it doesn't affect my judgment, it doesn't affect my mind. I'm not standing here judging you, and I certainly see where you guess you can make a case, but I've noticed that a lot of people that are always trying to defend alcohol are slurring. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just telling you, I don't know about you, but I've had enough trouble with it. And I'm certainly, I guess, I have the freedom, I guess, to play with snakes, but I don't. I don't because they bite a lot and they kill a lot of people. But that, that's, that's the straight of it all. Is it wine? Yes. Is it strong wine? No. Is drunkenness a sin? Yes. Was Jesus using it as an analogy to point to the era of grace in the church age? Yes. And I just leave it at that. I just leave it at that. And I, and, I, and, and I pray that you took away what we should have taken away today. Please don't let something so wonderful as this message, your takeaway is, he, he, turned, he turned water to wine. I guess I'm good. I, 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 love, I love when there was, there was actually a story that was shared when I read it and it was good. It was a guy who had been struggled with alcohol, destroyed his life. So he wasn't drinking anymore at all. Well, one of the church members said, well, I see you become kind of sanctimonious about wine. He said, what, he said, what do you mean? He goes, you know, Jesus turned water to wine. He said, you're right. He said, but here's what you don't know about my life. Jesus turned wine into a household, a marriage, food on the table, clothes on my kid's back, and me with a job. See, wine had taken all that away from me. Jesus does miracles of wine, too, and that's taking drunks and redeeming them. He worked a miracle with that as well. And, and, you know, and and if you're someone that says, hey, look, man, I mean, the facts are the facts. You're right. They are. I just say just just I'd be more caught up in what Jesus is saying about himself than what he's saying about wine. I think that's going to serve you a lot better. And I don't know about you. I have enough trouble my own. I just don't put more obstacles in my life that make it tougher for me to be right with God. But the good news is. As we get ready to move forward. Now, Jesus has showed the first sign that God is here and the era of grace has begun. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this great message. Thank you for the conviction. Thank you for the affirmation. Thank you for about how you have been glorified. And Lord, we're just so thankful that you came to us and we could not come to you. I pray, Lord, for anybody watching this or listening to this that has questions and they like to talk or they can reach me at Rick at Rick com. And uh, Lord, just help me to have the right words to, to say to them what you would have me say. I pray you bless every family represented here in this room today and continue to mold us into the men that only you can make us in Jesus name. Amen. amen. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.